0: Welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. What's up guys? Welcome, man. Welcome. It's good to see you guys and everybody out there in the overflow and the lobby. Man, love you guys. Thank you for doing that. Uh, there is a guy named Charles Bowles, and uh, you've probably never heard of him. I doubt you follow him because he was from the 1800s. Um, and he was a prospector out in California. He moved out to California to try to strike it rich with all the other people went, that went out there looking for gold. And like most of them, he didn't find any gold or didn't find enough Uh, So he turned to a life of crime, and he thought he would take out his frustration on the company that was most responsible for stealing all the gold. That was Wells Fargo, in his opinion. So he started robbing Wells Fargo stagecoaches. And the very first one he robbed, uh, the the stagecoach driver, those were the guys uh, that were responsible for the lockbox that had all the gold in it. They were responsible to protect that gold with their life. And so he shows up, he holds the guy up, and the guy thought about drawing on Charles and and he said, hey, boys, did this guy move? Shoot him. And the driver looked around. He saw all of these rifle barrels pointing at him from the bushes. And he said, oh, I'll just give the guy the box. And he just gives the guy the lockbox. And Charles didn't even ride a horse. He just walked away. Come to find out, the uh, barrels in the bushes were just sticks that he had sharpened. Uh, there wasn't anybody behind him. But nevertheless, the legend of Black Bart was born that day. And Charles, who became known as Black Bart... Uh, the stagecoach robber became infamous. From California to New York, everybody heard about this guy. He successfully robbed 29 stagecoaches. Here's the thing. In all of that, he was so intimidating, so scary. People had heard about him and and what he did that in all of those robberies, not one stagecoach driver ever shot at him or tried to shoot at him. Not one time did a sheriff ever raise a posse to go after him. And our boy, he never one time fired a single shot in 29 robberies, got away with all of that. And here's the thing, because he wasn't really that mean. Cut, a, cut holes out of a sack of flour for a mask, but he had long straggly black hair and long scruffy beard, this long black scruffy beard that just intimidated people. And then once they heard about the famous black Bart, man, nobody wanted to draw on him. Nobody wanted to do anything. They just quickly gave them their gold and they were so afraid. The guy was actually really nice and when they finally caught up to him as an old man, uh, he, uh, he, was, he was into poetry. It was just chill. What I thought was funny, though, was how he got away with get, with doing all of that, and nobody ever resisted him, because they bought into the imagery, the intimidation of Black Bart, the stagecoach driver. I thought about how it is with our spiritual life, that God has gifted us and equipped us with things. Those stagecoach drivers were trained and commissioned to hold on to that, to value that, to protect that, and they quickly gave it up because they were intimidated. And I think Satan does that with us. There's things that we encounter where God has gifted us. He's given us something valuable, and we just give it over to the enemy because we're afraid that we'll lose the battle, and so we don't even fight. And I think that's what giants do in our lives. I believe that there are things in our lives and you your giant is probably going to look different from most other people's giants but your giant is something that is designed by our enemy by the world your flesh the devil to keep you from God's best there's a story of this in the old testament if you don't know the kind of the premise of the old testament at the, at the beginning god makes a covenant relationship with a guy named abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. And then Abraham's son, he makes the same promise. A guy named Isaac, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the same promise that I made to Abraham. I'm gonna make a great nation. And Isaac's son, Jacob, God makes the same promise, and he promises all three of them. He goes, one day, I'm going to give you a land, a territory that is yours, that is gonna, that's where I'm going to bless you. It's a land. I promised to give you this land, and it became known as the promised land. It's a land to make your home. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be a place for you guys to set, set roots that I will bless and I will protect you, and he promises it to Israel. Then he changes, or to Jacob, he changes Jacob's name to Israel, and Israel has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you fast forward a little bit, and they move down to Egypt, and they become slaves. The Israelites, they're called the Hebrew people. This group of people are, are now enslaved in Egypt, and the pharaohs hold them generation after generation after generation in this bondage, using them as slave labor. The Bible says for over 400 years, 430 years, they toil as slaves. Then God raises up a man named Moses and God uses Moses and some plagues. And you go read the book of Exodus to get the Israelites set free. And so they leave Egypt The Egyptians change their mind and run after them, and God actually parts the Red Sea and then closes it in on the Egyptian army just to protect the children of Israel as they exit. And eventually they get to the promised land. Here they are, a bunch of slaves set free because God is good, standing on the edge of the promised land, looking in, and they're like, Well, we finally made it. You guys gotta understand. Their parents and their grandparents and their great, they've been talking about this for generation after generation. Grandpa put them on his knee and bounced them and said, "Hey, one day we're going to get to the land that God promised us. God promised us this land flowing with milk and honey." And then this group of people, they're there. They're finally there. We made it. And so it says that they say, "Hey, we want to we scout the land. What's the best way that we can conquer this land?" So Moses picks one guy from each of the 12 tribes. So he picks 12 guys. He says, you guys go do some reconnaissance. And they go spy the land. And it says they're there for 40 days, checking it out, making maps on where the villages are, what, what, what they should and shouldn't do and how they should attack. And it says they wanted to see was the land actually good. So they went to a vineyard and they took a, a cluster of grapes. The land was so fertile and so fruitful that that one cluster of grapes was so big that they had to put it on a stick and carry it between two guys. That's how, that's how beautiful this land was and how gorgeous the crops were. It says in Numbers chapter 13, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned, they come back to Moses. This is Numbers 13, verse 25. Now verse 26, they come back to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and they showed them the fruit that they had taken. Here you go, guys. Look how great this is. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Isn't it great? God has set us free and he's got even better for us. Of course, we will go in there without problem wait, so wait a second, you're telling me that there's people who have been set free from bondage that don't do what God's best is for them? That wouldn't happen in here, would it? We assume, (coughs) just because we we got through a little bit of desert, because we had our time in bondage, that now, now everything's got to be easy, right? I mean, we got set free, we should have a carefree life now. Like, there should be no more struggles. There definitely shouldn't be any giants. See, the problem is, there's always a but, isn't there? The land truly is flowing with milk and honey, here's the fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now you can look at some of the research that I've done and there's a lot of archeological history and um, digs that they've done to uncover people who were giants. Anak was known for being almost 10 feet tall. He was a famous giant warrior and so his descendants were also tall, but we have found, archeologically speaking, we have done gravesite digs on almost every continent we have found giants. People who were eight, nine, 10 feet tall. So thousands of years ago, this wasn't completely unheard of. It wasn't common. Most people weren't that big. But, I mean, there were a few. And this land, this promised land, had some of them in it. Man, why would God do that? Why would God do that? I mean, doesn't he love us? He sets us free, and then we have to fight giants? That doesn't seem fair. Some of you are mad at God because you're like, I shouldn't have any battles. I mean, I, 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 I've I, I've been sober. I've been, I, I, I've been sober for an entire year. I've made it. I've made it a year since I've, I, I've touched that stuff. I shouldn't have any more temptations. <laughs> you're going to have temptations. I'm sorry. My spouse and I, we got over that issue, that hang up, that struggle we were having. We will never have any problems ever again. <laughs> nope, nope, no, that's not it. I got my kids through the adolescence, through that, like, that tough t- stage. Now that they're teenagers, they'll be perfect. <laughs> just wait till they're in their 20s, it gets worse. It's just gonna, it's, it's one of those things where we feel like, man, I shouldn't have any more battles. Man, I talked to my mom. We had a heart-to-heart. She's going to be cool from now on, right? Your mom will never be cool. I'm sorry. It's just battles that there are. There's always going to be battles. This shouldn't surprise you when it comes to your spiritual life. God actually said that as long as you're on this side of the dirt and this side of eternity, there's going to be battles. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be things you don't like. Here's our problem. We assume because there's a giant and a battle that we have to face that God's not good, that God has forgotten about us that God doesn't love us, that this must mean that everything sucks. What What if the giants that you're facing, what if the giants are God's way of exposing what it is you need to work on? What if it's not that he doesn't love you? What if it's he loves you so much that he will allow there to be a season in your life where you have to actually trust him? You keep asking God, take away the giants. And God's like, the giants are the only time that you ever trust me. Except for now, as believers, we don't even trust God with the giants. How do I know that? They start complaining. They immediately start, wanting giants? They, they see the grapes and all they hear is giants. Giants, 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 giants. Caleb, now out of the... Out of the 12 spies, two of the spies decide to focus on what's good, Joshua and Caleb. Here's Caleb, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Guys, guys, enough about the giants, let's go at once. Let's go right now and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. We've got God on our side, guys, let's go. But the other men, the 10 bad spies who had explored the land with them, they disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Guys, by the way, when you do decide to start taking on some of your giants, don't be surprised if not everybody agrees with you. If you're only going to do battle, if you're only gonna take on the difficult things in life, once everybody's on your team, you're never going to do anything. Come on now, I'm trying to help you. Some of you are like, well, as soon as my mom and my dad and my siblings and my friends and my coworkers and my mailman, if they all agree, then I'll take a step for Jesus. You're never gonna take a step for Jesus. It's never gonna happen. It says they all disagreed. And then it says in verse 32, they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. Guys, the land that we traveled through and we explored will devour anybody who goes there to live says the guys who were there for 40 days and made it out alive. All the people that we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. You ever notice that when you get around somebody who's negative, they tend to exaggerate? Oh, some of you didn't nod your heads yes, because that's you. You're so good at being negative. You're so good at being critical. That's like your spiritual gift. Like, I just, I just naturally know what's wrong, Pastor Josh. <laughs> Blessings. Um, <clears throat> there are people who, once they, once they start fixating on the giant instead of on God, once they start focusing on the fear of the problem, everything seems to become exaggerated, bigger than what it should be. You ever been around those people? They start to use words like always and never, You're always doing this, you never do that, it's always on me, it's never this. It's just all, they just spin themselves up into all of these exaggerations. Do you realize that they even become mind readers? do the giants think that we're, look at the exaggeration. I'm 6'3", if I stood next to a nine foot tall person, they would be markedly taller than me. A grasshopper comes about to the bottom of my foot. That is a little bit of an exaggeration And then they're like, and that's what they think too. Now they know, now they can read the giant's minds, apparently. See, once we become negative, once we become critical, once we begin to go down this road of only finding what's bad, then all we can see is only the bad. And we actually, actually exaggerate it. Take for instance, if there's any of you that would like to have a better seat at this service, you could come on Thursday nights, I say that because there's about 100 people outside of this room that didn't make it in here. And you can have a Thursday night seat. Now you can choose to go, wow, pastor's creating an opportunity for all of us to have better seats. Or you can go, I don't like Thursday. And that sucks. And you can look at it either way you want. I love you. Um, <clears throat> it says that they, they focus on this and that God says, no, no, no. This, the, the, God hears them whining and gets incredibly upset with them. And they're about to get punished. And I'll get to the punishment in a second. Because they focus, they hear this report from the giants, these, these, about these giants. The ten, the 10 bad spies start talking about how bad it is and how scary the giants are. And the people start to complain. And the people that, you gotta go read, it's a couple chapters worth. They actually are like, let's kill Moses and Aaron, our leaders, um, let's kill them and let's go back to Egypt and ask if we can be their slaves again. I know. It's almost like people who've been set free sometimes choose to go back to their old lives instead of stepping into what God has for them. Okay, all right. Graze with me, all right. Because he and I, we're gonna have some fun today then. I, if I asked you, I said, hey, why is it that the Israelites don't get to go into the promised land? What keeps them from going in the promised land? You would say, well, the giants. I would say it's not the giants that kept them from the promised land, it's their attitudes. Do you understand that the Israelites never lose a battle to the giants? The giants don't ever beat them. The giants don't ever beat them. They just lose the battles that they never fight against the giants. They lost the promised land because they wouldn't go fight the giants. Not because the giants were bigger and beat them. It's because they thought that the giants were bigger than their God and that they couldn't beat them and so they never tried and then they miss out on the promised land. Do you understand this was the promised land that they've been talking about for 400 years? And all it took was a couple of giants. Much like Black Bart, it doesn't matter if they actually have ever killed anybody or done anything dangerous. We just assume they're dangerous, and so we just hand over What was best? We hand over what we were commissioned to go after, what God said, this is, I've got better for your marriage. I've got better, you and your friends, you and your life, the way you're spending your money, the way you're dealing with your heart, the way you're letting, you're holding on to this bitterness, I've got better for you to step into. This will actually be better for you. Here's how I want you to start talking. Here's how I want you to start thinking. I got a promised land I want you to step into. And you look at it and you go, oh, there's something big in the way. I'll just let go of that. And I'll give up God's best because I'm intimidated by what I think the battle will look like. See, here's the thing. Giants aren't really the problem. They simply reveal what's the real problem. The giants expose in us what it is that's deep down that God says that doesn't belong in the promised land. Hear hear me out. The giants are there almost to like screen the things that shouldn't be in the promised land. They're looking at the giants like, the giants are keeping us from the promised land. God's like, nothing can keep you from the promised land if I'm with you. I'm just using these giants because when you see the giants, what comes to the surface is the thing I wanna deal with. See, let's make it more practical. you giant, fix something up. My, my ex-husband is a huge jerk and he's the giant I have to face and he's the reason that I can't go forward with what God's best is for me. You know what, your ex-husband probably is a jerk I don't know that, maybe he's not, but let's just say you're right, let's say he's a jerk. That may not be the reason that you have this giant. God's allowing this giant because it's exposing that there's a part of you that has bitterness and hate that you're not letting go of. Well, well, you don't know what he did, yes. Understand that in all of this message and in all of this series, I'm not trying to tell you to be naive about your giants. I'm not trying to tell you, this isn't like one of these like woke messages. where like, oh, every giant's actually good inside. I ain't saying that crap. Giants suck. <laughs> giants are bad. There's, there's a lot of bad people, there's a lot of bad things. I'm not trying to ask you to be naive about the giants. Maybe this person, maybe it's not your ex-husband or ex-wife, maybe it's your mom and something that she said or did when you were a little kid. Maybe it's a boss who doesn't pay you enough or doesn't appreciate you. Maybe it's somebody who betrayed you instead. Okay, people are, people are bad. There are people who hurt you. Okay, understand you're probably somebody else's, by the way, but okay, maybe that's true. You having to come face to face with this giant will expose and reveal what's going on in your heart. Maybe your boss is the worst, but you know what? You're, you're, you have a huge level of insecurity. Maybe your mom didn't do everything perfectly, but you have a lot of resentment and hatred built up. Maybe, maybe, maybe your, your health isn't what you want it to be, but maybe you had such an ego that you thought you were in control of everything, and God's letting you go through this health scare because he wants you to realize that you're not in control. Or he wants to expose that there's something going on in your life. All of these giants do, they reveal what's going on, and what it revealed to the, the Israelites is that they had a perpetual problem with complaining. See, God allowed them to face these giants, to see these giants, because what came to the surface is a reoccurring issue for the children of Israel. They instantly doubt that God is good. All the time, whenever anything bad happens, they forget that God is good and they go back to anything else that they think will rescue them. That's their problem over and over and over again. And before you go, I would never do that, that's our problem too. See, God actually says, God hears them. God hears them whining and complaining and they're like, oh, that's so bad. And he hears them say, let's kill Moses and Aaron and let's go back to Egypt. And God actually goes to Moses and goes, that's it, I'm, I'm done. I'm just gonna kill these people. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill them, Moses. We'll start over. And Moses goes, you gotta read this for yourself. Moses goes, God, please don't kill them. They're idiots. They don't know what they're doing, but I'm paraphrasing. But he goes, God, please don't kill them. The the Egyptians and the Canaanites, they know that you set us free and brought us out here. And if you just kill all of them, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be to your honor and glory. That'll actually make people think that you you abandon us. So please don't do that. And God goes, Okay, I won't just smote them all right now. Here's what I'm gonna do. Tell them I'll do this. And in the next chapter it says in verse 28 of, of Numbers 14, Tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. I will do to you, you complainers, you children of Israel, the very things that I heard you talk about. The very reasons that you won't go into the, the promised land will be the things that I'm going to do to you. And I'll explain that in a second. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Not because of the, not because of the giants. You didn't even face the giants. You instead complained about the giants, and that's why you're not gonna get to go into the promised land. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration, you're gonna die out in the wilderness. And once you guys all die off, I'll then take what's left. Anybody who's under 20 right now, they'll be the ones that go into the promised land. You will not enter and occupy the land, verse 30, that I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun because they were the only two spies who focused on what the promised land was and said that we should go there when everybody else said we shouldn't. Now you read that and you go, wow, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, God was trying to draw a very important point to the surface. He goes, he goes listen, I'm not gonna let you go into the promised land because you made all these excuses that I didn't love you and I I couldn't protect you. They literally, if you go read it, and God quotes it later in another passage, he goes, you said you couldn't fight the giants because then they go, if we fight the giants, the giants will kill us and they'll capture our children and they'll make our children slaves. And God goes, well, because of that, you hid behind your kids and now you're not gonna be able to go in the promised land and I'll use your kids to go in and fight the giants. And I started thinking about that and I thought, wow, how powerful is it that God literally points out to us that the excuses we make will be the very thing that bites us in the butt. But they wouldn't fight the giants. They said it was because of their kids. Now they don't get to go in the promised land and here's, do you notice this? Their kids have to still fight giants. The whole thing that they came up with was, I don't wanna have to fight the giants. It's for my kids, because I love my kids. I'm such a good parent. I love my kids. That's why I'm not doing what God's called me to do. Oh, it's your love for your kids? You just made it worse for your kids. This is hard, and those of you that are parents like myself or even grandparents in the room, just own this for a second. The world has convinced us to not do what it is that God's called us to do, and it's convinced us that if we don't do it, we'll prove how much we love our kids and our grandkids. Do you understand that when you refuse to fight the battles that God's called you to fight, you are not helping that next generation out. They still have to fight that giant, but now they haven't had the example of a godly man or woman that they could look up to who went and fought in front of them that they could emulate and come after. They still have to fight the giant, but they didn't get to have you demonstrate what it looks like to have the faith to go fight the giant. You are not helping them. You are hurting them. When it looks at when when it comes to us as parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles or anybody who gets to influence the next generation. We have bought into this cultural idea that we have to give them everything except for the hard conversation that says we're gonna trust Jesus when it comes to whatever God has for us. What we do is instead we say, you know what? I want you to love God and I hope you grow up to love God, but while you're young and while you're under my authority, I'm gonna negate God and if you wanna to go to a ball game, we'll put sports ahead of God and we'll put going on a ski trip ahead of God and we'll put your feelings ahead of God and we'll put whatever whatever makes sense today or feels good today or whatever we like. We'll put everything ahead of God, but Then I'll be surprised when you grow up and you want nothing to do with God. And then I'll go, Pastor Josh, fix my kid. And I don't understand why they don't want anything to do with God. And it'll be like, well, what? what did they see emulated from you? You talked about how much God was the priority, except for when it came time for God to be the priority, he was never the priority. He was second or third or 20th on your list. And you thought, well, I'm showing them love. Do you understand that the world has already got its hooks on every single one of us and all day, every day, it's telling us that God isn't good and that we can't trust God and that we have to go get everything out there for ourselves and we have to take care of ourselves and what we can find for us is the best and it's already telling our kids and it's already telling the next generation, don't trust God. And yet God has put you, especially if you're a parent, he's put you to be the one person to stand in the way and say, no, what the world is doing is not right. What we are going to do is we're going to trust God. And yeah, those giants are scary, but watch when we step out in faith under God, giants fall. And now that generation has something to look up to. And instead, we're doing the exact same thing that the rest of the world is doing, and we're wondering why our kids are struggling so much. Mom and dad put God so far down the list. And yet, God says, your kids will still fight the giants, you just are gonna miss out on being in the promised land. So the kids still have to go. And God says, this is because, because of what you were doing that you don't get to be in there. And if you think, well, well, the going around the desert for 40 years seems like a harsh punishment from God. Like he seems like he's kind of overreacting. No, God told him, you complain against me and you're gonna go one year for every one day and I'm gonna hope that as we take this time that we are going to get rid of that spirit. Here's the problem. They continue to do this as they wander the desert. So much so that their leader, Moses gets so frustrated listening to them whine and complain and talk about wanting to go back into slavery that at, so, at one point he gets so frustrated, he hits a rock that God had told him to talk to in order to bring water so that they could have some, something to drink. He loses his temper, he hits the rock, and God goes, you lost your cool, and now you don't get to go in the promised land. And the whole reason that happens is because he's putting up with all these stupid complainers. That's for us as leaders, any of you lead or parents, you, don't, you, you can't lose your cool and then blame it on them. You still have to be responsible for how you react. That's a big lesson for me. And so we get to the promised land 40 years later, and Moses is once again on the precipice right there on the edge, and they're looking into the promised land. He goes, all right, are we actually going to do it right this time? Let's have a little recap so that we remember how we screwed it up last time. Now, all the people who are alive now, they, they were either 19 or younger when this happened, or they were born during their time in the wilderness. So a few of them remember, and most of them are just hearing what had happened. So Moses is recounting. In the book of Deuteronomy, Is Moses going, hey, let's get everything right before we take the land. <coughs> and Moses excuse me, says this in verse number 1 of or verse number 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh-Barnea, Bar- going by the way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel telling them everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. Now Moses wrote that because he wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Why did he put that in there? I find it funny that Moses goes, "Hey, normally it's an 11-day journey from there to here. But we took 40 years to get here. I don't know if you ever travel with your kids. You look on, you put the destination in. You're like, oh, it's three hours. And then you show up five hours later. And you're like, oh, maybe we stopped a few times too many. And Moses is going, guys, we could have been here in 11 days. Does this not sound like a church? We could have been here so long ago, but we managed to keep screwing it up. It took us 40 years to get where we could have gotten in two weeks. I think of that, I'm 40 years old, as a, uh, I'm looking at it going, God, how much further could I have been? How long did it take me to get here if I could be so much further along into the promised land if I would just pull my head out of my butt? Was oh, is that too real for you guys? Okay. Like how much better would we be? We managed to take small journeys and turn them into long journeys because we're stubborn and we have things that are, are wrong with us. And he goes, listen, <coughs> you, he goes, when we were here last time, we screwed it up. This is what happened. I wanted to go right into the promised land, but you all, verse 22, you all came to me and you said, hey, first let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They're gonna advise us on the best route to take which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me, so I chose 12 scouts, one from each tribe. By the way, isn't it weird that the, the, the scouts were never there to determine if they should enter the land or not? They were only, the, the whole purpose of them was, what's the best way? And then it turned into, no, nah, like, we're not even going to do it. I just found that interesting. They headed for the hill country, they came to the Valley of Eshel, and they explored it. They picked some of its fruit and they brought it back to us. And they reported that the land the Lord our God had given us was indeed a good land. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you refused to go into the promised land. Instead, you complained in your tents and you said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. What is Moses saying and what is it that God is trying to bring to our attention here? He's saying you had an opportunity to put your faith in God. And what you instead, what you did, is you doubted that God would actually take care of you. And the way I know that you doubted God was because instead of going into the promised land, you complained in your tents. This one hurts because it hits us right where we live. Every time we choose to focus on the negative, we are saying God is not trustworthy. Every time we choose to emphasize all the things that scare us, what we're actually saying is God's not good. From the very beginning, Satan tempted Eve with the idea God isn't actually good, so you should should eat this fruit. If Satan can get us to doubt God's goodness, then everything else becomes uh, becomes available. Now, if I don't really think God is good, then I start to think that my plan is better and that what I want is okay and what other options are out there. So when you're doing this thing, when you're complaining in your tent, now I love how it says, complain in your tents. He's he's speaking to this idea of just getting in a small, just like, just me, just me, one other person. It's just me and my sister on the phone talking about how much mom is the worst. (laughs) It's just me and my buddy at the water cooler talking about the fact, doesn't our boss suck? Gosh, doesn't appreciate us or pay us enough. It's just me and my friends on the basketball team complaining about how coach doesn't really call the plays that we deserve. It's just, it's just, it's just a little bit, you ready? It's just a little bit of venting. I thought a few of you would resonate with that. It's just, it's just, it's just me getting it out, it's not a big deal. He goes, no, no, it's a very big deal. Do you guys understand how big of a deal this is? 10 people, 10 spies ran their mouth and brought a cancer of complaining into the camp and millions of people missed out on the promised land. Do you get that? It only took 10 people whining, complaining, criticizing to ruin it for millions. You don't think you and your attitude at work or you and the way you talk in your family or you as the complainer in your circle of friends, you don't think you're having an impact? There's a lot of people that you might be bringing down. There's my, there might be a lot of people that you're causing them to miss out on God's best for them because you won't shut up. Right? I mean, just, just own, that's what the story's saying. That's why God is so adamant. Like, I'll take you for 40 years to get this out of your system because it's so bad. Here's where people, if you're like me, this is where it hurts because you're like, well, I'm an analyzer, right? Like, and that's what I do. I, I, I analyze, I, I can look and I can see where the problems are gonna come. And that's, I, I honestly think that's how God wired me. I don't think that that's wrong. But here's, if you are like me and you can look ahead and you can see the problems, you have, to, you have to put that right in where it belongs. Where you go, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're trying to teach me from this? Because no matter what I see, God is still good. And that's really hard to do. When all you can see is like, that could be better, that could be better. What you tend to do is, is you just start, tend to be like, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this, and this sucks, and this is bad, and this, and this, and this, and they And we just come up with a thousand ways to complain in our tents about what it is we don't like. So you better believe that much like God is going to have this really hard judgment over his people, or Moses is gonna have a really difficult conversation with with the nation that he's leading, you and I might need to have some tough conversations with some people in our lives too. You're gonna to have to care more about their spiritual health than about their emotions and feelings. That's the only reason we're having this awkward conversation right now because I believe a few people can ruin it for everybody. You understand, we're, listen, Harbor's got a lot of things that aren't good, a lot of things that we're working on, a lot of things we're trying to make better. <coughs> we are far from having everything, everything the way it should be. There's a lot, a lot of room to improve and yet God's hand is still on us God is still blessing us because God is gracious and merciful and generous and kind is the reason that we've been able to grow when all the other churches, when a lot of churches aren't growing. We're we're, we are one of the fastest growing churches in New England, and yet there's still a ton of people who complain every week. Well, my old church, we did it. Yeah, that's your old church. Go back to it. (laughs) I'm not. I don't mean that mean. I don't mean that mean. No, 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 I don't mean that mean. If it's that good, then why did you leave? And if, if you left, then why are you trying to make this into that? I only say that because this conversation, as awkward as it is right now for you to hear this, this is how some of you should be talking in your homes. Hey, son, come here. I know school's tough and I know that teacher's tough on you and it's it's unfair and you got you got like, yeah, I, I don't like some of it either but you know what you and I are gonna do? We're gonna look for God's best in this, and how is it that you can come out on the other side of this? Not where you complain and you hate everything that's happened, but where you find, you look and you find what it is that God is gonna grow you, because I think that you're strong enough to go through this tough year with a crappy teacher and still come out the other side a better man. Hey hey, honey, I know that we just hung out with that couple and that couple's weird and they do some weird stuff. And what would be easy would be for us to talk about how crazy and cringy they are and how we are so much better than that. But you know what we're actually gonna do? We're gonna have the kind of family where what we do is we say, God, how would you have us learn and how can we be better and how can we love those people and how can we be more a testimony of what you've called us to be instead of being the kind of people who only find the broken and the negative and everything. Instead of, instead of sitting there going, hey, I've got a prayer request so that I can gossip about somebody, um, and this is my way of looking spiritual, how about you shut up? <laughs> do you, I, I understand that this is not comfortable. It's uncomfortable to deal with the things that are toxic, but what you need to understand that complaining is just like a concentrated poison. It only takes a little bit to do a ton of damage. Your complaining spirit, your negativity much like those 10 guys could be causing a lot of people to be losing out. Mom, when was the last time that your kids felt built up and encouraged by you versus hearing you complain about all the things that are broken, all the things you don't like about your life or you don't like about yourself? We wanna know why, uh, as parents, our kids have bad self-image. They just hear, their, they hear their, the adults in their life critique everything about themselves that they don't like. So they grow up going, oh, everything about me must be broken. How about if the things that we say and the stuff we talk about actually built somebody up? This is what what the Bible means when it says in Philippians chapter two, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. What? (laughs) Those are like the two things I do best. That's like what I'm actually really good at. Yeah. God says, do everything without the complaining, without the arguing. He emphasizes that the Bible actually tells us, here's how you should live your life. If you look at Ephesians chapter four, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only things that are good for building up. Don't let crap come out of your mouth. Don't let there be just negative and whining and complaining. Only say things that encourage people. Are you kidding me? Only things to say things that are appropriate, fits the occasion, so that it would give grace to people that hear. People would be blessed by hearing the words that are coming out of your mouth. When was the last time that happened? That the things you said made people go, I'm so glad I was around him for 10 minutes. Man, I sat in a car ride with her, and I I just feel so much better. Yeah, people haven't said that about you in a long time. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I don't like this verse. This verse is the worst. I, I, wish it, I wish it wasn't there. This is a struggle. Oh, only I'm gonna be real today. Okay. I mean, if I, if I was writing the Bible, if Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 came from the new Josh translation, it would look something like this. Go ahead and say whatever you feel like. Cuss somebody out if you think they deserve it, or even vent your frustrations, brethren and sisters, to whoever will listen. Feel free to tear people down behind their back and talk trash about those who have annoyed you, amen." And if that was in the Bible, we'd all be good, wouldn't we? We're like, that's what God wants me to do. I, man, I am doing well. I am like really good at that. Here's the thing, God doesn't put this in the Bible because he knows this is our natural tendency. This is how we naturally gravitate towards all of our problems. When we encounter giants, it's, it's easy for us to go, oh, let me think about all the things that scare me. See, when I get in the shadow of my giant, it often blocks the goodness of God from my eyesight. And that's the problem. That's the problem with giants is by their very nature, they're, in, they're designed to intimidate us, to cause us to forget that God is good. And we fall for it because our reaction to giants isn't, well, God is good, here's how we're gonna praise him. Our reaction to giants is, well, oh, here's all the things I don't like. And here's all the things that I, uh, I, I'm afraid of. Here's all the things that make me angry. Here's all the things I dislike. There's some of you that you can find a problem everywhere. And you have the inability to let go of it. You fixate on a problem and then you forget that God is bigger than the problem. I think God has designed some of you to be able to see good ideas and bad ideas. Things that might hurt and things that are okay. But when you see the bad, when all you do is assume that those are unable to be conquered you now are doubting God. You've taken something and you've used it and elevated it to, to a, a position where it now is blocking God as if though it is more powerful than him. And this is, this is where we, we break it down. This is why the Bible has, has recorded these stories. It says in Psalms, when the psalmist was telling the people of Israel, don't forget about our ancestors back in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy that missed out on the promised land. It says, those people, They refused to enter the pleasant land for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and they refused to obey the Lord. The grumbling in my tent and my refusal to obey the Lord is because I wouldn't believe his promise. I wouldn't trust that he actually has me. The reason some of you are having roadblock after roadblock with your giants is because you forgot the fact that God said he will knock down your giants. You forgot the fact that God said that no matter where you go, whatever valley you go through, I'll be beside you. The fact that God said, doesn't matter how scary it is or how big it is, I'm bigger than that. And my, my love for you, my plan for you is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you could ask or think. And I've got better for you. You forget that because you just, you become blind and you can't see past the giant. You just sit here and you're just like, this giant's so big. And it breaks my heart because some of you have giants you've been dealing with for decades. They've kept you from God's best year after year because you're so convinced that they can't, they can't fall. And here's, here's the thing, they can't fall in your power. But with God behind you, that giant that you think is insurmountable, is nothing. God's just allowing you to go through a season where you can see that. Too many of us have turned around and went back to the Egypt instead of into the promised land because we disdoubt God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse verse 10 says, don't grumble as some of them did. They were destroyed by the angel of death. Verse 11 says, these things happened to our ancestors as examples for us. They were written down to warn us, those of us who live at the end of the age. Church, is your outlook, your attitude, the way you're seeing your giant, is it preventing or is it promoting your pursuit of God's plan? God's plan for you, his best for you, his promised land for you, Is your current attitude pouring fuel on you going for God's best? Or does it feel like you're dragging an anchor? Because that thing is just all your opinion and all of your pain and all of the things that you think God's not gonna take care of. And so you're not really moving into what God's called you to be. It's an 11-day journey, but you're gonna take 40 years to get there because you're dragging complaining and whining and your past pain and all the things that you don't wanna let go of. Do you understand why this is so hard? Why this is so difficult, because Satan is laughing at us, not at all moving towards God's best. Our kids deserve better. Our marriages deserve better. Our circle of friends deserve better. Our homes and our workplaces, Cape Cod and New England deserves to have the kind of people who are stepping into the promised land because when people start doing that, everybody else goes, wow, if she can do it, if he can do it, maybe that same God will help me do it. And now people start to get their lives on fire. They start to get their hearts right. They start to go to God instead of going to what the world offers. Satan doesn't want any of that to happen. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna take the people who've been set free from bondage. He's gonna do everything he can to keep them from God's best, he couldn't, get the, he couldn't keep the Israelites in, in bondage. And those of you who are saved, he can't keep you in hell. You've got Jesus, so you've been set free. So the next thing he'll do is he'll put giants in front of you to keep you from living out the promised land. And here you are, set free by God. Your sins are forgiven, but you're not becoming the man that he created you to be. You're not, you're not stepping into the woman he created you to be. You're making excuses. The Bible says in Galatians chapter six, verse seven, don't be deceived, God's not gonna be mocked. A person will reap what he, what he sows. Do not expect to sow seeds of doubt Well, God must not love me and and slavery was better and my life is the worst and I have it harder than anybody else and that, that, that addiction will never go away and that person will never forgive me. You can't sow seeds of complaining and doubt and whining and fear and expect to have a harvest of anything good. Don't talk about how much your husband or your wife is the worst to all your friends and then expect your marriage to be healthy. Don't tell, don't tell everybody about all your troubles and all your complaints and how, how, how you have it so bad, and then expect God to bless you with all these opportunities to go forward. All you've done is say that you don't actually trust Him. Instead, why don't you sow seeds intentionally and say this thing I'm scared about with my kids, I'm going to trust that God's good. This bill that I don't know how to pay, I'm going to trust that God is good. How do I do that? How do I sow seeds that are good? Glad you asked because it's our last verse. It says in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks when? When it's easy. Give thanks when there's no giants left. Give thanks when everything goes my way. No, it says give thanks in every circumstance, in all circumstances. So the more giants you see, what if you just change your perspective and you said, those giants are a great opportunity for me to see what what naturally bubbles to the surface is something that shouldn't be there, okay? God's showing me I have too much fear, I have too much anger, I have too much complaining, too much whining. As that bubbles to the surface, in God's name, I'm gonna let go of that, repent of that, and I'm gonna sow seeds of, this is an opportunity for God to show how big he is. This thing that I don't understand how we're gonna get past it gives me a chance to just see how good God is and how he'll work. And you start sowing seeds of faith that God is actually good and watch the harvest that he'll bring in your life. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes and have a conversation between you and God. If you're in the overflow room, I want you to do this as well. Don't talk, don't look around, just bow your head and close your eyes and just listen for a second. I want you right now to ask God what it is you're sowing. What seeds you're sowing based on the giants that have been showing up. Have you reacted to giants in fear? Have you reacted to your problems and your setbacks with doubt, with anger? Do you right now have a testimony where the things that you're saying and the attitude that you're having and the conversations that you're keeping, are they saying God is good? Or are they saying, oh man, my problems are big? If you know, and maybe the Lord's already poked you in the heart a little bit while, while you've been hearing this message, that there's some things that you need to let go of, would you simply have a conversation right now where you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that and when it came to this area, I started to doubt you. I thought I was doing good, but when it came to this thing, I started to doubt that you were actually good and I'm sorry, God, if you would repent. The Bible says that God will forgive you. So maybe in this moment, you simply need to say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't, I haven't been talking you up. I'm sorry that I haven't been leading the way I should. I'm sorry that I haven't been fighting the giants. I've been running away from them, but in your name, with your help, God, I'm ready to start tackling some. I know I can't bring them down, but God, I believe you're big enough that this giant will fall if you help me. So Lord, I'm giving you control. It doesn't have to be those exact prayers, but if you would right now, just simply open your heart and invite God to work through you. If you confess that you you have some things that have gotten in the way, God will remove those and he'll help you to start going forward, to take a step into the promised land. And while there's people praying, some of you in the overflow, some of you on the online, you're praying right now. There's some of you that you can't pray for your step into the promised land until you get set free from your slavery, from your bondage. You can't ask God to help you walk into what it is he's created you to be until you have a relationship with him. Which means you're not set free until you have Jesus Christ at the center of your life. Doesn't matter how much church you go to or how good you try to be, until you invite Jesus Christ to be the center of your life, until you open your heart and you receive the fact that there is a God who can fix you and you can't be that God. The Bible says if you would repent of your sins and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only way to have a relationship with God, that not only would the Lord save you, he'll forgive you of every sin, but one day when you die, he'll have a home waiting for you in heaven, all based on what you do right now with this life and putting your faith in Jesus. I'll pray for you, but I can't make that decision for you. So as I pray out loud, wherever you're at today, would you just pray quietly and do a little work between you and God? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, we love you and we know that your plan is better than our plan. God, we know that the promised land is better than what we could hope for, but yet sometimes, Lord, if we're honest, we get distracted by what we think. God, we start to doubt that you're good and so we ask, please, Lord, forgive us because you are so good. We just, we get intimidated by some of the giants in our lives. Lord, I believe that you have so much better for some of the families and some of the people in this room. God, there's some boys and girls, some men and some women who you have giants that you want to bring down. They have, there's things in their their mental life, their emotional life, their physical life, their financial life, their relational life. God, there's so many giants that you want to see fall. You You want so much better. But Lord, you're waiting for us to take that step of trust where we... We don't cower from what scares us. We, we believe in you that much more. So God, in this moment, remind us that you are good and that you, you will take care of us and that we can truly trust you. Lord, whether that's the person who needs to trust you for the very first time with their salvation or whether that that's somebody that just needs to, to step up to a giant today and to watch it fall in your name, not in our power, but in yours. God, would you help each and every one of us leave this conversation looking more like Jesus than how we started it. We ask this and we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com slash give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.